On this Black Friday, how marketing created a legacy of pirates in the air over Texas, affecting music, culture, and politics way beyond. It's a special edition of The Standard. Texas Standard is a production of KUT Austin, KERA North Texas, Houston Public Media, and Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. With support from Rand Group, software delivered as promised. No surprises. I'm David Brown with shopping season officially underway. We often think of hyper-commercialism as a byproduct of Madison Avenue. But as you're about to hear, one could make the case America's hype machine got its start along the border of Texas and Mexico. A million watts of power leading to a revolution of outlaw broadcasters still making a mark today. They're our focus this hour, the pirates of the Texas airwaves. From coast to coast and line to line, you know what time it is. It's Texas Standard Time. No matter where you are, you're on Texas Standard Time. I'm David Brown, and you are listening to a very special edition of the Texas Standard. I say special, certainly very special to yours truly. By way of reference, you may have noticed that at the beginning of most of our broadcasts, we say, no matter where you are. Well, how that came about is no accident. It's not just a reference to the Texas Standard Time. It's also a reference to a time when no matter where you were, certainly in North America at least, a particular sound with its roots along the Texas borderlands once blanketed the country and changed the way many Americans heard music, received distant messages, and experienced mass media, sometimes for the first time. It was outlaw radio. It was programming considered too dangerous for primetime. Outlaw radio has taken many forms over the years, and it still exists today, as we'll explore a bit later in the broadcast. But for many, the story begins with what were called the Texas Border Blasters, a big part of Texas culture and mythology, indeed a big part of American culture, in part because of the reach of these old megawatt radio stations that were situated along the border with Mexico, and certainly the independent spirit that drove them. Now, for much of the 20th century, commercial radio in the United States was the voice of the establishment, selling not just detergent, but what some might call a whitewashed, idealized vision of America, a vision that wasn't entirely accurate. But from the early 1930s until well into the 1970s, late at night, strange sounds would skip across the stratosphere, filling the air over America with howls of wild animals, the promises of faith healers, the voices of Spanish speakers, and heaven forbid, that devil rhythm and blues music. They were noises beamed into the U.S. from super high-powered radio transmitters just across the Rio Grande, beyond the reach of federal authorities out of Washington. These were stations with call signs like XCR, XCRA, and XCRF. The outlaw stations played music you wouldn't hear on the mainstream stations. Everybody likes my rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along. These X stations inspired many musicians, including the legendary Texas guitarist Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top.
When Gibbons wrote Country Jesus Hillbilly Blues That's Where I Learned My Licks, it was autobiographical. Gibbons remembers being eight or nine years old, up late by the radio light, holding his guitar and trying to copy those strange sounds coming over the speaker from some exotic place on the other side of the Rio Grande. Yeah, growing up in Texas, the quest was spinning the dial wheel. That's Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. Because of the omnipotence of Border Radio's broadcasting power, you couldn't miss it. Coming in like a police call, you could um, hear Muddy Waters, Jimmy Reed, T-Bone Walker, Albert Collins, Freddie King, B.B. King, you name it. XERF, XERA, XEG out of Reynosa, and of course the famous uh, XERB out of Rosarita, California. All of these superpower stations were just fascinating. I heard best late at night. There is uh, some stratospheric uh, anomaly that allows certain frequencies to penetrate uh, through the clouds uh, after dark and that made it even more magical. And this is, you have to go back in the context of being a teenager in Texas in the 1960s. Texas music writer Joe Nick Petoskey. I just remember the first time I ever heard Wolfman Jack fading in and out of those that distant signal from the border. Is a little scary. The Wolfman Jack Show from the Big X. Who was this guy with this voice and, and these wolf howls and playing what I consider to be really good dirty music? A lot of rhythm and blues, a little bit of hillbilly, but mainly just just music that, that you didn't always hear on your local top 40 station, a little too risque. And here was this guy, and it sounded like he was doing it from a compound and... An area that, that must, he must have been surrounded by soldiers with machine guns. You know, definitely doing something illegal. You really felt like this was, this was wrong, but you couldn't help but listen. So when I heard, I heard it on the X. Hey, that Givens guy, he knows too. Over the years, there have been a lot of songs about the magic of radio. One about border radio even hit the charts back in the 80s. when music producer Rick Clark joined the members of Los Super 7 to record an all-star salute to Tex-Mex rhythm and blues. X marked the spot. The song Heard It on the X immediately spoke to me because it was the same kind of heartfelt love letter that I felt. Do you remember back in 1966? Country Jesus, hillbilly blues, that's where I got my licks. Oh, from coast to coast, line to line, and every ground is there. I'm talking about the outdoor axis cutting through the air. Everywhere now, everywhere now. I heard it, I heard it, I heard it on the air. Radio, when it was at its most powerful, and when it is at its most powerful, has a way of helping you transcend where you're at or illuminate where you're at and make it larger. You know, anyone who has a heart has experienced being moved by something that happened on radio. 
I just thought Gibbon said it, and he said it like a celebration. The song Herded on the X is a little like the subject it celebrates. Not everyone knows about it, and a lot of others just don't get it. But in an age when voices halfway around the world are just a mouse click away, perhaps it's worth having a song to remind us what it used to be like, to click on the radio, turn off the lights, and let exotic sounds from distant towers take you far away. During the 1920s and 30s, 78 RPM discs were sold in music stores across the U.S. that specifically catered to African-American audiences. The record industry and mainstream radio, which is to say radio programmed for white audiences, called these records race records. These were records that focused on gospel, jazz, and most potently, perhaps, blues. Yeah, my mama, she didn't love me. We were talking about Billy Gibbons before. His father was a successful orchestra conductor in Houston, and nothing about the Tanglewood area in which he grew up would have exposed him to the sort of sound one might hear on border radio. They were sounds that included that of the son of a sharecropper. John Lee Hooker was one of the first to take the music he'd grown up with, and electrify it, with elements of country music, a driving boogie-woogie style derived from the piano playing Hooker heard in the music joints along the southern Chitlin circuit. Well, when Border Radio played this song, Boogie Children, Billy Gibbons remembers sitting riveted in the living room, lit by the soft glow of an old tube console set. And for the first time as it beamed into his home, through nearly a million watts of radiated power bouncing off the upper layers of the atmosphere, Gibbons heard something almost haunting, something called the talking blues. When I first come to town, people, I was walking down Hastings Street. I heard everybody talking about the Henry Swain Club. I said I'd drop in there that night. And when I got there, I said, yes, people, yes, they were really having a ball. Yes, I know. Boogie children. Influential? Well, when Gibbons grew up, he'd be selling out stadiums in part by reamplifying those sounds he first heard electrified by John Lee Hooker decades earlier and passing the talking blues along to a new, even younger generation. And she turned to my papa and she said, Papa, I bought his weed on them new oldies. We cannot let him stay out all night long. She did. Along about that time, I heard my papa Lee told my mama, I heard Papa tell Mama, let that boy boogie woogie. Now, if you're not hearing the direct connection between what Billy Gibbons first heard on Outlaw Radio as a kid and what he played at packed arenas as an adult, that's okay. 
Music is constantly evolving, and though crowds who'd come to hear ZZ Top and its worldwide Texas tour may not have known the name John Lee Hooker, they were getting an introduction nonetheless, just like Billy did when he sat in front of the radio set way back in the 50s, listening to the outlaw station beaming in from Ciudad Acuna outside Del Rio, and he heard those prophetic words. But how was it that these border blasters came about in the first place? We'll look more closely at that question next as we explore Outlaw Radio, a special edition of the Texas Standard. We'll continue in just a moment. Stay with us. Support for Texas Standard comes from Texas Oncology, with a reminder that November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. A preventative regimen, including a healthy diet and exercise, can help prevent lung cancer. More at TexasOncology.com. From the studios of the Texas Standard in the Texas capital city, I'm David Brown, and you're tuned into a special edition of the Standard as we explore the outlaw broadcasters and the cross-border blasters, the pirates of Texas airwaves past and present. We've been hearing about how influential those stations pumping out hundreds of thousands of watts of radio power back in the olden days would become in later decades, influencing what Texas sounds like to the rest of the world. But consider for a moment how those stations came about and why. For half of the 20th century, beginning in the early 30s, the border just inside Mexico offered refuge for renegade broadcasters looking to make money, make a statement, evade regulation, of course, and sometimes the long arm of the law itself, capitalizing on Mexico's then willingness to look the other way. And some of the strangest characters ever to grace the airwaves drew millions of fans from the American heartland and from around the world, tuning in late at night. They also changed the shape of South Texas culture, those stations did. And in some ways, they shaped American culture itself. From the public radio program on the media, Jamie York gives us the backstory of this phenomenon called border radio. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. If you were lucky enough to own a new wireless radio receiver in 1923 in small-town Milford, Kansas, there was only one local broadcaster speaking directly to you. Get in touch with God, turn your radio on, turn your Dr. John Brinkley, graduate of the Eclectic Medical School in Chicago, had recently opened a clinic downtown, and he'd also started one of the first radio stations in the Midwest. Brinkley wasn't only a broadcasting pioneer, he was enjoying runaway success with a medical procedure he'd invented. One of the first patients, he had no sexual vigor left. He was flat as a tire. Bill Crawford is co-author of a history titled Border Radio. Dr. Brinkley, looking out his window, kind of jokingly saw a, a Toggenberg goat and joked with his patient, boy, if you had some of them glands in you, you wouldn't have this problem at all. And according to Dr. Brinkley, the patient said, put them in me, doc, put them in me, I need those goat glands. 
Brinkley installed the goat gonads in his patient, and nine months later, his wife gave birth to a boy. They named him Billy. The goat gland procedure was a sensation. President Lyndon Johnson, who grew up in the heyday of border radio, was recorded joking about it. You got the authority, you got the power, you got the money. Now, you may not have the glands. The glands? Yeah. I got plenty of glands. All right. I need Dr. Brinkley myself. Desperate patients arrived on Brinkley's doorstep daily to pay $750 for their piece of the goat. Among them was Los Angeles Times publisher and early radio broadcaster Harry Chandler. He inspired Brinkley to launch his own radio station, to entertain his patients, and to create more of them. You are again listening to the voice of Dr. J.R. Brinkley of the Brinkley Hospitals. And you know you're sick. You know your prostate's infected and diseased. And you know that unless some relief comes to you, that you're going to be in the undertaker's parlor on the old cold slab being embalmed for a funeral. He invited listeners to write in with their maladies, which he diagnosed on the air, recommending patent medicines in stock at Midwestern pharmacies, with whom he split the profits. That is, until the American Medical Association convinced the fledgling Federal Radio Commission to yank his broadcasting license. And about that time, Brinkley received a letter from the Chamber of Commerce in Del Rio, Texas, inviting him to come down and build a radio station across the river from Del Rio in Old Mexico in a town at that time which was called Villa Acuna, a very, very tiny border-crossing town. Mexico was chafing against broadcast rules negotiated by the United States and Canada in the late 1920s that seized most of the valuable spectrum for themselves. Mexico saw in Brinkley an opportunity to stick it to their greedy neighbors. There is saying the border radio stations are the stick most useful to beat Washington. Dr. Jose Ortiz is professor of communications at Pan American University in Mexico City. He says Brinkley's timing was impeccable. Mexico embraced the broadcasting outlaw with open arms. And Mexican government said, okay, do it here. You will have no problems with us. Brinkley's station was licensed at 500,000 watts, 10 times more powerful than the most powerful station licensed in the United States. But it was built to blast at twice that. Brinkley's station and its message that you're only as old as your glands could be jacked up to one million watts of radiated power. Locals sought electrocute birds in mid-flight. Electric lights would turn on by themselves. It could be picked up on barbed wire fences and bed springs. The physics of AM radio ensured that border radio had no borders. From coast to coast, border to border, wherever you are, wherever you may be, when you think of real fine entertainment... Think of XERL. When you crank up these transmitters to super high powers at night, the signals actually go up and they bounce off the ionosphere. So you can see that they would cover the globe. They're doing this and hitting points all over the Earth. We have people who heard them on ships in the South Pacific, people who heard them in Scandinavia. We heard tales that the KGB in Moscow tuned into XERF to learn the English language. In America, most radio in the late 20s and 30s was still dominated by the big cities on the coast, trafficking in light sophistication like orchestral or big band music and family-friendly dramas. Brinkley opened the world's most powerful station to what his patients wanted to hear, performers from vaudeville, carnivals, or old-time medicine shows. That means you're listening to XCRF via Cunha Coahuila in the Republic of Mexico, your cleared channel station that covers every state in the nation. 
And how do you do, friends and neighbors? This was the era where people were really figuring out that radio and the broadcasting media was a one-on-one media. This was the era where FDR figured out about the fireside chats. But, says Crawford, border radio circumvented government or corporate control over the media. It was uh, programming that spoke directly to the farmer in the Dust Bowl, to the small-town merchant in Minneapolis. It was programming that went direct to the heart of the American people, and it sounded a whole lot more interesting to them than what they could get from the regular radio stations. Brinkley had struck upon the mainstays of border radio programming, health, sex, music, and religion. Preaching became a staple, and radio stations got a cut of the preacher's profits. Meet me on my knees, on your knees, Friday night at 7.30. And listen now, my friends, the prayer tower is open. The prayer tower Dallas Turner was a border right radio personality for over 40 years as a yodeler, a singing cowboy, a mentalist, and a pitchman. Boy, we sold everything that you can think of. You know, I sold false teeth by mail, aphrodisiacs, erection enhancers, feminine hygiene equipment with the free enema attachments because you ordered before midnight tomorrow night. Brinkley helped the pitching go down easier with some of the most influential performers ever in country music. Jimmy Rogers, Bill Monroe, and Woody Guthrie all did stints on border radio. And the first family of country music, the Carter family, spent winters at Brinkley Station. This is where Johnny Cash first heard his future wife, June Carter, while listening to the radio in Arkansas. Jamie York reporting for the public radio show on the media. Support for coverage of business on Texas Standard comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider ensuring compassionate care for injuries of every size at businesses big and small. Learn more at WorkSafeTexas.com. You are tuned to the Texas Standard as we explore the outlaw spirit of the Texas airwaves past and present, one which has had political implications here in Texas. That story and more as the Standard continues. Stay with us. Support for Texas Standard comes from Texas CASA, advocating for a safe and positive future for all Texas children in the child protection system. Volunteer information at becomeacasa.org. Every child has a chance. It's you. You've got it tuned to a special edition of the Texas Standard. This hour, something in the air over Texas and beyond. The spirit of outlaw radio, music, money, and mythology. You know, these days you hear a lot of people complain about how commercialism and advertising has gotten out of hand. We're inundated with commercials, infomercials, and, well, so much money is spent on political advertising alone with new records set in each election cycle that some have wondered aloud whether it actually endangers American-style democracy. Well, maybe. But let there be no mistake. The die was cast a long time ago, and believe it or not... It happened on the radio, which was a major player right here in Texas. Reporting for our home station, KUT, Michael Olson explains. Wilbert Leo Daniel was one of the greatest salesmen in history. He got his start in the flower business. His first break came in 1928. That's when his employer, Burris Mill, a flour mill in Fort Worth, put O'Daniel in charge of promoting light crust flour. O'Daniel saw to it that Burris Mills sponsor a radio show featuring a local hillbilly music group. Bob Wills and Milton Brown were a couple of the then-unknowns in the group. Wills later went on to be the king of Western Swing. 
still popular today. Deep within my heart lies a melody, a song of old San but before Western swing was identified with Wills, hillbilly music had to stumble its way around the South. O'Daniel's religious convictions ran counter to the drinking and dancing steeped in the hillbilly music experience. But the music had the potential to move a lot of flour. O'Daniel named the group the Light Crust Doughboys. They both grew popular, and eventually, O'Daniel became known as Pappy. I got no troubles and feeling no pain. I got moonshine whiskey down in my veins. So let the light crust doughboys and old Pappy Dan play us a song we'll never forget. Pappy picked the music for the band and wrote some too, but Burris Mill became increasingly concerned with Pappy's performance. Veteran radio broadcaster Carrie Janelle is with Origin Jazz Library. O'Daniel managed the Light Crust Doughboys until he was fired by Burris Mill. The reason was he was doing a little bit too much promotion of himself, and he was skimming money off the top when doing personal appearances. So it was for that reason that he formed his own flower company, the W. Leo Daniel Flower Company, in the summer of 1935. That's when he formed a new band, took a few members from the old band, and started the Hillbilly Boys. I like bread and biscuits, big white fluffy biscuits. My dear old ma just makes them grand. We like to sing and play and try to make folks happy. We hope you'll say, please pass the biscuits, Pappy. I like mountain music, good old mountain music, played by the real hillbilly band. The Hillbilly Boys was put together to ostensibly promote hillbilly flower, but the real reason for it was to promote W. Leo Daniel as a politician. So there were products involved, either Flower or O'Daniel. Pappy and the Hillbilly Boys became even more popular when they took to the airwaves by way of the towering transmitter in Acuna, Mexico. Pappy promoted the Flower, but mostly himself. Bill Crawford is co-author of Border Radio. Pappy O'Daniel started as an outsider, and he took it to the limit when he went to Border Radio. I mean, here he was, a flower salesman with a hillbilly band. He announces over the radio on Easter Sunday, 1938, that I'm going to run for governor. What do you all think out there in radio land? So he gets 54,000 some odd responses, and he says the next week, well, every one of these 54,000 responses said I should run for governor except for three. And those three said I was just too good for the job. Too good he wasn't. The W. Leo Daniel for governor campaign would forever change how campaigns were won in America. In 1938, Texas was a one-party state run by Democrats. There hadn't been a Republican governor since the days of Reconstruction. Democratic insiders underestimated Pappy's phenomenal campaign style. Again, Origin Jazz is Janelle. And if he meets with uh, a Native American family, he's going to put on a headdress. You know, if he meets with somebody at the zoo, he's going to be petting a goat. He was the originator of the photo op. I mean, he really knew what to do with that camera. And he knew that if he was going to get votes, he had to meet the people. Traveling the Lone Star State with the Hillbilly Boys in his Bible, his campaign events drew massive crowds. Bill Crawford says it was the first time many Texans had ever even seen a potential governor. The crowds are so fierce that uh, at several points, Pappy would be going from one town to another and bypassing a very small community uh, along the way. And people told me that the people in those communities that were going to be bypassed, they would actually stand in the road 
to block O'Daniel and make him do his campaign performance. The future first family of Texas, the Wilbert Lee O'Daniels. Mr. O'Daniel's sweeping primary victory over 11 Democratic opponents is tantamount to winning the governorship. His circus-like showmanship flabbergasted old-time politicians. With a bust and a band, he crooned his way to victory. Pappy eventually ran for Senate and won. Pass the Biscuits, Pappy O'Daniel was probably the greatest vote getter in Texas history and the worst actual politician. He got almost nothing done when he was governor. He got less than nothing done as senator. He beat LBJ for the Senate in 1941 in a special race. He was the only politician ever to beat LBJ. And LBJ actually campaigning against O'Daniel had his own hillbilly band and used exactly the same campaign techniques that O'Daniel used. Bought huge amounts of radio time. And uh, Johnson actually went into the radio business after that election to make money for number one, but also because he saw what a huge, powerful political tool owning the media was. So, friends, we come to the close of another program. Politicians from FDR to Lyndon Baines Johnson, Jesse Ventura, and Arnold Schwarzenegger have followed the trail Pappy blazed using the folksy power of radio to create a persona palatable to voters. But Pappy did it first, and he never would have done it without border radio. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is Governor W. Leo Daniel of Texas speaking. Goodbye. Michael Olson, KUT News. Border Radio did a lot more than popularize Western Swing or Texas Swing, whichever you prefer. It played gospel music and folk music shunned by mainstream broadcasters. It played so-called race music. Why? Because the kids wanted to hear it, of course. And the establishment couldn't stop those border blasters. And that inspired a generation of young people all across the U.S. tuning in late at night to hear the Wolfman or some other renegade DJ. And for those of you who want to dig on the Wolfman tomorrow night, I'll be back here, same stand, man, right here on the big XCRB, 50,000-watt clear channel. Austin's own Bill Crawford is the author of what has come to be the definitive document of that era. It's a book called Border Radio. Border Radio pioneered popularizing American popular music, country music, rock and roll, hillbilly, gospel music. Border Radio gave a place where your outspoken men of vision, both religious and political, had a place to let their vision be heard before it was allowed on the regular media. One of the least known chapters involves another band of Texas outlaw broadcasters broadcasting not just across the border, but off the shores of Britain. The BBC meets its match courtesy of the Lone Star State. That story as our special edition of the Texas Standard continues. Stay with us. Support for Texas Standard comes from the Texas Tuition Promise Fund and the Texas College Savings Plan, administered by the state of Texas, offering a pair of plans that can help families save toward college dreams. More at savenowforcollege.org. You are listening to a special edition of the Texas Standard as we explore subversive sounds in the air. The spirit of outlaw radio and its deep roots in Texas. I'm David Brown. It's probably safe to say that so much has been written and mythologized about the border blasters that many folks think of the radio pirates of the Lone Star State as a South Texas thing. 
But about a half century ago, some radio revolutionaries started writing one of the least known chapters in the story of Texas outlaw broadcasters, and it involved a certain international invasion of sorts. One, two. It happened in the mid-60s. As the British invasion took America by storm, Texans were invading the shores of Britain with high-powered transmitters. The problem was back in the 60s, early 60s, the BBC was a monopoly. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones were becoming so popular, and yet in their own home country, on their own home stations, they were very rarely heard. That's Gray Pearson who is today an attorney in Arlington, Texas. His father was Don Pearson, a little-known innovator in broadcasting. My father, Don Pearson, in 1964, read a story about the fact that in England, the popular groups really didn't have much of a listening audience because they weren't on the radio. Uh, He was a car dealer out in Eastland, Texas, and decided that he could do better even though he didn't know anything about radio, he contacted his good friend Tom Danaher, who was a Volkswagen dealer in Wichita Falls. The two of them then raised money, located a former U.S. government minesweeper from World War II, converted it uh, to a broadcasting ship, but put a full radio station on it, drove it across the Atlantic Ocean, and began broadcasting as Radio London. Wonderful Big L, wonderful Radio London. And if you just retuned, this is Radio London, and welcome to our test transmission on 277 meters. It's no exaggeration to say that if you were in England in the mid-60s hearing the Beatles or the Stones on the radio, chances were very good you were listening to a Texas radio station beaming its signal from a rusty old decommissioned Navy vessel anchored off the southwest coast of England. The Texas pirates set themselves up as Radio London. Finding you, loving you, in you. And a lovely time, isn't it? I guess a lot of you are on holiday from school at the moment who are listening. And I guess a lot of you are also, uh, those of you who go to work are having a holiday. And you never know, there might be one or two people listening who have just escaped from prison. Lovely to have you listening. It really irritated the BBC because its listening audience almost immediately exceeded that of the BBC in the BBC's home country. By 1967, it had aroused so much fear and anger in Parliament and among British broadcasting officials that the government passed something called the Maritime Offenses Broadcasting Act to put them out of business. The transmitter was shut off in August 1967. The last song to be played, a song the BBC wouldn't play. Uh, this is Ringo, and I'm just saying cheerio to all you Radio London listeners, because, as you know, we're going off the air. It's a bit of a pity, and the radio will never be the same, but it's one of those things. Cheerio. I'd like to thank you for all of the support that you have given Radio London during the last three years. As one listener put it, the world will get by without Big L, but I'm not sure that it will be a better place. Thank you.
As we wind up our hour on the Spirit of Outlaw Radio, it might be worth asking whether the spirit still exists. One of its greatest attributes was its willingness to broadcast the music others were afraid to broadcast. Dangerous music, you might call it. Ten years ago, the UK's independent newspaper wrote that rap music had become the last of a breed, the last dangerous music in existence. The sound of harsh, unforgiving modernity, it said, hard on the untrained ear, the soundtrack for a violent subculture. But you know, that was ten years ago, and let's face it, when Amber and her boyfriend Preston are listening to NWA and Daddy's Acura, because it has subwoofers, yo, then you might very well conclude that there's no such thing as dangerous music anymore. Perhaps. But the author of Border Radio, Bill Crawford, seriously doubts that we've heard the last of the radio renegades. All of these things come back again and resurface. They resurface in the Internet, and they continue resurfacing whenever new forms of communication, whenever new media are pioneered and uh, allowed to run free. The end? Well, you might be surprised. In 1990, a media visionary named Roger Fidler noted something about the successive waves of change in the media. When television came along, it was, many declared, the death of the cinema, and certainly no one would be listening to a pictureless box with speakers attached, like you might be right now. And we snicker about that moment when Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric were co-hosts of the Today Show stumbling their way through, What is Internet? as many predicted the death of their medium, television. But as Fiddler noted, old media forms seldom actually die. Instead, they just transform in an unpredictable dance of perceived needs, competitive pressures, social changes, and technological innovations. It is what Fiddler described as media morphosis. Now, the spirit of outlaw radio is again transforming itself to accommodate the demands of a so-called digital age, for better, and some would say, for worse. For around $100, depending on how elaborate you want to take it, you can get online, even download an app to one of those China-based shopping sites and purchase all you need to start your own miniature border blaster right from your own bedroom. Now, granted, it may not have a million watts of radiated power, but the essentials for getting on the air have never been more available to as many people as they are today. The potential damage pirate radio can do extends way beyond content these days. With more signals in the air controlling everything from unmanned drones to life support systems, messing with the broadcast spectrum can have enormous implications. But following the rules has never been a strong suit for the Texas radio pirates. The feds know this, of course, and in recent years there's been a crackdown on unlicensed broadcasters in the Lone Star State, all of which is to say the outlaw spirit of the Texas airwaves lives on, as we will discuss in just a moment on our special edition of the Texas Standard. 50, watts out of 
Support for Texas Standard comes from Rand Group, partnering with SAP to provide mid-market companies a real-time view of their financials, cash, and liquidity while streamlining accounting processes. More at softwareispromised.com. I'm David Fruchter, and I'm with the Typewriter Rodeo. We're a group of friends who take our vintage manual typewriters to various events and type custom poems on request for whoever asks us for a poem. A radio dream. A voice in your ear coming out of the dark. A signal that's formed by a vibrating spark. It crosses the ether, connects me to you, a tenuous thread with which we imbue meaning and feeling, perspective and chance, a radio rumba, an audio dance. Distant in space, we touch mind to mind. Just listen closely and you may well find a spirit that's kindred, your soul resonating, a radio dream, us together creating a space made of sound and of thought, and of love, a world and a state that's worth hearing of. Some stories that pointed and some that meandered, raising us all to a high Texas standard. I'm David Fruchter with the Typewriter Rodeo, and you are listening to the Texas Standard. Support for the Typewriter Radio comes from Texas Children's Hospital, focused on outcomes and care, and providing treatment to kids in the Lone Star State and beyond for more than 60 years. Texas Children's Hospital, personalized care for every child. More at texaschildrens.org. You know how this works, right? The Typewriter Rodeo takes your requests and your ideas to Standard at kut.org and let the rodeo lasso up something for you. No matter where you are, it's Texas Standard Time. You're listening to a special edition of The Standard. Much of our past hour has been spent in retrospective, a history of sorts. History that's sung and unsung, you might say. But before we leave the airwaves ourselves, it is worth reflecting on whether the way we consume our media today, through tweets and Facebook follows, has made the spirit of the Texas pirate broadcasters obsolete, a relic of another time. Our next guest suggests it has not. Joining us is the founder of DIYmedia.net, John Anderson. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes out to talk with us on the Texas Standard. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. I want to talk with you about what you make of this notion of the outlaw and radio, which seems to be a, a, a thread that runs through a lot of modern Texas history. Why do you think that there has been that allure, uh, that draw to radio? You know, the first thing, it really comes down to the medium itself. Radio is a unique and very intimate medium. You're basically dealing with just auditory stimulation. So there's a lot of room there to do things like create mental pictures. And as a listener, when you're listening to something like outlaw radio, pirate radio, you feel a strong connection because they're not supposed to be there, but they're taking the time and and making the risk. The fact that it's live um, is something that also... Uh, brings a level of excitement. For as long as there has been radio broadcasting, there have been people who have elected to do it outside of the regulatory paradigm in which they operate. Today, it's a medium of last resort. You know, we talk a lot about the internet and we have this computer in our pocket that can do all these wonderful things, but it's compromised on several levels. I mean, if you think of things like natural disasters, the infrastructure 
on which the internet runs, mm -hmm. uh, particularly wireless networks will fail. Uh, even, you know, our government and, and first responders tell us that in times of crisis, we should default to the radio. And so radio is still an accessible way to both consume and disseminate information. You know, it's, it's very interesting, though, uh, the persistence of the pirates on the radio in Texas. I mean, there was a big story, and you covered this at DIYmedia.net, uh, that uh, the Federal Communications Commission uh, cracked down on the proprietors of something called Texas Liberty Radio, which right. was operating surreptitiously on, a, on an FM frequency in the Texas capital city. And this may have had some kind of uh, connection with Alice, Alex Jones, although that has been uh, disputed. Uh, what do you know about that? Well, I know that there is a long history within uh, unlicensed broadcasting pirate radio in the United States of kind of a multi-partisan drive to take to the airwaves illicitly. I'd say the majority of people who do that tend, if they identify themselves politically, tend to fall on, you know, kind of what we would consider to be the left part of the political spectrum. Hmm. But there's also a very vibrant presence of people uh, on the right side of the political spectrum who have also gravitated to this. And in the case of Texas Liberty Radio, uh, the proprietors of that station have a long history of being affiliated with what's called the Sovereign Citizen Movement. So if you actually go and read uh, the correspondence between the FCC authorities in Texas and the operators of the station, right. you find that the operators of the station basically are uh, sending these verbose screeds to authorities saying, we don't recognize your authority. The last station that I remember uh, making big news coming out of there before Liberty Radio was back in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s. There was a station called uh, Free Radio Austin run basically by a bunch of anarchists in a collective fashion out of a house. Mm -hmm. um, and they were very adamant about confronting the Federal Communications Commission when they would come to inspect their equipment and or try to take them down. And when the FCC actually showed up to raid the station, they found that the people had prepared for the raid by burying the transmitter in the backyard in an oil-encased pot surrounded by concrete and rebar. So when the, uh, when the FCC showed up uh, to, to get the station off the air, the first thing the station did was immediately broadcast their address and where... Uh, you know, this uh, injustice was taking place in their minds. And that got the local media down there who were able to basically watch these FCC agents who had to borrow shovels from the Free Radio Austin Collective spend a couple of hours digging down trying to get this uh, transmitter out of the ground. And, you know, Free Radio Austin knew what it was doing. They wanted to show in their own way, what they perceived as, you know, injustice in our political system that restricts access to the airwaves, especially to, you know, minority constituents, whether that be demographic or political. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, there's a long history of it. And and I'm not surprised that this is happening in Texas. But uh, yeah, I think you're right on that. Do you think that pirate radio or outlaw radio has a future in, in, in the digital age? Well, I have to, you know, admit that I am a hopeless romantic. My answer would be yes, I think there is, uh, because so long as radio as a medium is still a viable uh, useful and somewhat popular means of mass communication, you will still find people who will find reasons to uh, grab a small spot of the spectrum. John yeah. Anderson is the founder of DIYmedia.net and a one-time radio pirate himself. John, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out to talk with us on the Texas Standard. Fascinating stuff. My pleasure. Show. Thank you. 
In an age of content glut when something about anything and everything is in your pocket just a few taps away, the outlaw broadcasters are still secretly beaming their messages into unknown corners in ways we may not fully understand nor appreciate the impact of until years from now. One can only wonder. You've been listening to a special edition of the Texas Standard. You can keep up with all the day's news at texasstandard.org. We invite you to join us there online. On behalf of the entire Texas Standard crew, I'm David Brown, wishing you all the very best from Austin, Texas. Philanthropic support for Texas Standard comes from Casey and Scott O'Hare, the Winkler Family Foundation, Lynn Dobson and Greg Waldridge, Adrian Killam, and the George Huntington family. Would your company or organization like to be a sponsor as well? Contact your local station for opportunities within your community. For statewide sponsorships, visit texaspublicmedianetwork.com. Public Radio International.